All right, now let's get started with pointers. So I wrote a little introduction on the board here. So a pointer is a special type uh, whose value is a memory location. So we've seen other types so far, like integers, doubles, booleans, fractions, and all of them have different kind of, kind of values, right? Uh, so pointers have that kind of value too, but it's kind of like a meta value. So it's actually a, a location and memory. And what pointers are good for um, are really a way to indirectly refer to other variables. So that's where the word point comes from. So a pointer can refer to another variable indirectly. Why you would want to do such a thing is not, I have to warn you guys, immediately clear. So I'll go through this lecture today, and probably you'll be wondering why the heck do we need to learn this. Um, you'll see later. So just, just bear with me. So every time I teach this lecture, the motivation is not clear, and I completely understand. So you can think of pointers as sort of being another type, whose values are memory locations. And you can, that means you can declare variables of type pointer. The way you do that is as follows. So declaring pointer variables. So it turns out that um, pointers are, themselves are sort of typed. So you can have a pointer to an integer, a pointer to a character, a pointer to a fraction, a pointer to whatever. Uh, but you can't have a mix match of the two. So if you declare a pointer to a character, uh, it can only point to a character in memory. It can't point to another thing like integer. So here I will declare a pointer to a character as an example. The syntax is as follows, char, star, and star by star I mean asterisk, and followed by a variable name. We'll call it CPTR. So this will be a pointer to a char. So the only difference here is that you follow the type name with an asterisk. And that denotes that CPTR is a pointer type, a pointer to a character. And just like any other variable, space is made in memory for CPTR. So let's take a look at memory, what, what memory looks like at that point in time. So suppose this is memory. So you have a space for CPTR. And let's give it just a decimal memory location. It's usually an hexadecimal. But just to you know, keep this thing simple, let's say this is Location 0, 1, 0, 2, 0. And the size of pointers actually depend on um, your architecture, the amount of addressable memory space you have in your system. So it actually depends on how much memory you have and how much, like what the maximum um, memory size your motherboard can hold on your, on your computer. So it varies per, per system, actually. So let's suppose that 1020 is the memory location reserved for CPTR. And just like any other variable in C++, the initial value of pointers is garage, right? Question mark. So it's just uninitialized. All right, so let's go ahead and declare a normal character. 
I'll call it CH. And this is just a character, just a normal character we've seen before. And by the way, this will be step, uh, well, this is step one. Step one is over here. Okay, for step two, we have another location in memory. And, you know, I'm not drawing it sequentially at all, but let's say this is 48. And this will be 4CH. Initial value of that will be garbage, and this will be step two. And usually memory is sequential, but I'll just use your imagination. Okay, so let's go ahead and store a value in the CH pointer, uh, character rather, and let's say I store A. And I'll call that step three. So CH is no longer garbage. Uh, step three and now is the value A. So far, so good. So see the difference between pointers and, and regular variables? Maybe not yet. All right, so let's talk about what values pointers can have. And I've, as I've already mentioned, um, it's going to be memory locations. So the only legal pointer values are memory addresses. Or zero, which is a sort of sentinel value. <laughs> zero means that it points at nothing. This is the integer of zero. So there are only two kinds of Valid memory, uh, excuse me, valid values for pointer types, and that's either memory addresses or zero. Which begs the question: Well, how the heck do you know what the memory address is of a particular variable, right? Because the memory address of your variable actually is not going to be assigned until the, the program runs. So what the compiler does, it actually does these things called offsets. So it says, okay, I need four bytes for this variable, I need one byte for this variable. And they're going to be, you know, they're going to have four bytes in the between them or something like that. So the compiler, um, when it builds your machine code, it sort of lays out what memory should look like, or at least like a, like a sort of like a, a layout for memory when your program runs. And when you actually run your program, the operating system replaces those values with the actual values that it assigns to your program. So you don't know ahead of time exactly what memory locations your, your variables will hold until your program runs. So there actually is, it turns out there's a way to retrieve at runtime the memory address of any variable. And the way to do that is using the address of operator. It's also called the reference operator. And you guys actually have used this before. So the address of operator denoted by a single ampersand, returns the address in memory of any variable it perceives.
So in a sense, it's like the selection operator in that it precedes a variable name or expression name. Um, it's also called the reference operator. And the way you can use it is as follows. So if I want to have CPTR point to CH, so basically what that means is that the value of CPTR should be the memory location for CH. In this context, or you can imagine this is one run of the program, it happens to be 48, uh, you can use the address of operator to retrieve that. So the way you do that is as follows. So you refer to the variable you want to retrieve the address from, and then you proceed it by the, the address of operator. So this expression evaluates to the address of CH. Oh, by the way, how, where have we seen this before? Or something like it? Pass by reference, right, which is also why it's called the reference operator. And it actually should be a hint to what pass by reference actually is. You might not get it now, but maybe like in the weeks that come. Oh, yeah, now I understand. All right, so we get the address of CH and assign that to the, be the value of CPTR. So in this one particular run of the program, you can also do this is step four, uh, CPTR will have the value 48. So now, the way this looks like is that CPTR points to CH, and we usually use an arrow to denote that. So every time that CPDR has the address of CH, you'll see an arrow as a diagrammatic representation of that. Second. And again, just to reiterate, so this will evaluate to the address of of CH which happens to be 48 in this case, and that gets stored here. Any questions so far? Great. It turns out there's a dual to the reference operator, and it's called the contents of operator. So given a pointer, how can you traverse quote unquote, the link to get to the actual variable it refers to. And for that, you can use the contents of operator. So how to access the contents of any point. So the operator asterisk, and operator C++ are overused like heck. Like the same operators for different things, different places. Um, a lot of times, operators will be reused, and they'll mean one thing in one context, and a whole different thing in another context. And some other times, they're reused in different contexts, but they're actually, their meaning is very related. So, more things to confuse you with. So operator asterisk allows the contents would actually be stored in that memory cell that the pointer refers to of the address contained in a pointer value, a variable rather, 
to be used. Which means you can be, it can be changed, it can be printed, etc. So for example, I can do something like this. See a insert the contents of CPTR, which prints what? <clears throat> so the contents of the variable referred to by CPTR is? Everyone? A, right? So that prints A. So given any point, you could always go back to the original variable using the contents of operator. Um, there's another name for that as well. <clears throat> I don't remember what it was, though. Contents of operator. I think that's good for now. Uh, the way I like to think about it is that you have a regular variable. <clears throat> And the reference operator or the address of operator sort of makes it into Superman. And then the contents of operator makes Superman back into a normal human. It's like kryptonite. So they're duels. What one does, the other one undoes. So when the kryptonite gets up to a variable uh, of, of type pointer, it goes back to its normal self. Am I too old to know about the kryptonite? Or is that getting out of fashion? Yeah, that's good. Okay. That's a classic, I guess, though. I can still use that example. Okay, so suppose uh, we change the value of ch to be b. So I'll make this step number, what are we up to? Five, right? So now ch is no longer a, it's now b, and that's step five. Now, if I repeat this line, cout insert contents of cptr, this would print, everyone, <coughs> b. So the way you read this is that you take the, take the value cptr, or take the variable cptr, and follow its link to where it points to, and then Retrieve that the contents of that. So it's big now. So even though we didn't do anything with CPTR directly, we altered the variable that CPTR refers to. So the contents of CPTR change indirectly. So there's a way to indirectly refer to these things, the variables. Okay, we can also do the reverse. We can change the contents of CH indirectly using CPTR. Any idea how we can do that? Let's say I want to make CHC, but I don't want to use CH. I want to use CPTR to do that. Any ideas? Yes? Can you do like star CPTR uh, as assigned to C? Yep. Good. So this says the contents of CPTR, so take CPTR, follow this link, is assigned C. So this is no longer B, this becomes C, and we'll call this step six. I swear, every quarter, I always run out of room. I should really make these things better. So this is step 
Thanks. Good. Thanks. And now, if I output ch, even though I didn't do anything to it directly here, it would print c. So far, so good? It gets harder, believe me. So, so far, it's, I think it's pretty straightforward. All right. Suppose I have another um, character variable. I'll call this initial. I'll make this one um, R. And this will be step where we have to do seven, right? So in memory, I have another spot for initial. And that value is going to be R. And that's step seven. So now I have two characters. Um, let me give this a, a memory location. Let's say 2020 for initial. All right. So I have two character variables, ch and initial. Um, how do I go about having cptr instead of pointing at ch? I want that to point at initial. Any volunteers? So I want to change the contents of CPTR such that CPTR now points to initial instead of CH. Can I do this? Location initial, right? Uh, do you do that similar line of code where you say CPTR is equal to the reference? Yeah, to the, right to the address of the variable. Why? But why can't I do that? Why is that not okay? Yes. Because um, depending on what it's ran, it might not be assigned. Yeah, exactly. Right. That just happens to be this one running program. So we can't do that. Right. So another run of the program may not be 2020. In fact, these are, again, represented as hexadecimals, uh, hexadecimal numbers, but just imagine they're hexadecimal. So. Yeah, so the correct way to do this is to use the address of operator. So we can say CPTR is assigned the address of initial. So that will be step eight. So initial no longer has a letter R in it. Oh, oops, sorry about that. It does have the letter R in it. Jumped ahead of myself here. CPTR no longer points to, rather, well, I'm over CPTR no longer points to um, CH. This will be step eight. It now points to Initial. So this is gone, this is gone, and for set 8, it now has the value 2020.
So far, so good? Yes? Can you use pointers to change private variables? No. Yeah. That's an interesting idea, though. You shouldn't. <laughs> if your compiler is, uh, works as what you should, you shouldn't be able to do that. That's a good question. No, you, you can't do that. You can't break encapsulation before. By encapsulation, I mean accessing private member data and member functions. Yes? Um, so if you assign a random memory address to a pointer, did you, does it still restrict, does the pro, I know within the program what you're allowed to yeah. Um, so, guess one. What one thing good uh, pointers are good for is is writing um, viruses. Um, it depends. Yes. Yeah, so the question is, well, if you if you signed your pointer to be a random value that happens to match something in memory, can you access that memory location? Uh, yeah. So the answer is it depends. It depends on the operating system. So it depends if the operating system has assigned that piece of memory to a program already, in which case you can't. Um, if, it, if that memory is not assigned, then it may be possible for that to be accessed. And that's where things like memory leaks come into play. So if, if programs don't clean up their memory, uh, it may be possible for a memory location to leak out to other programs like a virus and have that access in, indirectly. However, the chances that actually happen are pretty slim because um, you have to sort of guess like not only the right memory location, but you have to guess a memory location which lines up to a specific value, right? So, for example, integers are four bytes, right? So, if you have to start at the first byte of that integer, so yeah, you can retrieve things like account numbers and passwords and such, uh, but it's it's pretty hard. So, good questions. Any other questions? Okay, another thing we can do is we can input from standard input, we can extract from standard input the contents and assign it to the contents of CPTR. So I'll make this step nine. So I Take CPTR, I'll find the contents of that, right? So CPTR is pointing to initial and change that value to whatever I read from, from input, which we said. So that's another way you can deal with it. So as soon as you use the address of operator, the pointer becomes like a normal variable. You can change it, you can print it, you can do all, anything you can do with that normal variable, you can do with the pointer. As long as you use the kryptonite, right? As long as you use the contents of operator. You can also have pointers to other types. So for example, you can have pointers to objects, like fractions, which everyone knows and loves right by now, right? So the way you declare that is that use the type name, right, specifically fraction, and then use the asterisk to note that it's going to be a pointer of type fraction, and give it a name, just like any other variable. We'll call it FPTR.
uh, we can make another fraction. Well, a fraction rather. Let's say fract. Assign it 5 eighths. And we can have FPTR point to fract. So now FPTR points to fract, which is 5 eighths. Um, and I even can call member functions on it. So for example, I can print. Uh, is that a good? Yeah. I can call the, let's say the old print member function. So I can do something like this. The contents of FPTR, right? So go follow the variable, the pointer and retrieve the actual fraction, and select from that the print function. Right, so get the contents of the FPTR, right, which gives me a fraction. Use the selection operator on that and print it. This doesn't work though. Anyone know why? Why does it not work? This won't compile. It has to do with the order of operations. It turns out that selection operator binds more tightly than the contents of operator. So to do this properly, you first need to use parentheses around the contents of operation. So you need to say the contents of FPTR, get that first, and then select the print function from there. Otherwise, you're selecting the, the print function from a pointer, which a pointer doesn't have a print function, right? It's not an object, right? It's just a pointer. It happens to be a pointer to an object, right, to fraction types. Uh, so we say use, we use a kryptonite or a contents of example. We get the fraction first, and then we apply the fraction, or rather, we apply the print function to the fraction. So you need to switch the order of operations using parentheses to force the issue. It turns out that there's a shorthand for this. Anyone know what it is? We've seen it before, like even today. So it's FPTR arrow print. So this arrow that I'm talking about actually is a shorthand for this, for using the contents of operator and putting that in parenthesis. So what does that tell you about the this keyword? What is this? The this keyword. Starts with a P. It's a pointer. It's a pointer to the implicit parameter. And note that you don't want a value of the implicit parameter, right? Because you don't want it copied. You want to actually refer to the, the actual object um, that the member function is a part of. So this, the this keyword is actually a pointer to the implicit parameter. So if you use this before, you're actually using a pointer. And the arrow um, is a shorthand for, for the, um, the forcing issue here. So that's why we can't use this, the selection operator on this. So anytime you have a pointer to an object, you always need to use the arrow to select operations or, to, you know, or such. Any questions? Great, let's continue on.
Okay, um, let's say we meet another pointer. Take character. Let's call it C two. And let's put that in memory. So this will be C2P. Let's say this is 1010 for C2P. OK, it's initial value. I'll set it to Say I want CP, C2P to point to initial. How can I do that? Well, I can do it this way, right? I can say the address of initial. And let's say it's a step 10. So now this points to initial and step 10. So initial is going to be. What's another way to do that? How can I have CTP point to initial without referencing initial at all? Any ideas? Yes? Yep. How do I do that? So CTP is a sign? Let's see. Star C P T R. Aaron agree? Does it look good? Any objections? Let's think about it. So CPTR, right, is a pointer. It points to initial, right? has the address 2020. But when I apply the cognitive operator, what does that evaluate to? It evaluates the pointer, or rather ev evaluates to the value of the variable it points to, right? So that evaluates whatever was read over here. Let's say after, uh, uh, let's see, enter T. So say, let's say the user entered T there. So the contents of CPTR gives me what? T, character, right? So this will be T. Is T a memory address? No, it's character, right? So here I'm assigning a character to a pointer variable. And the only legal values for pointers are memory addresses or zero. And zero means it points at nothing, which is different than garbage, by the way. So, so how do I fix that? This is wrong. Good try, though. So CFTP is assigned what? Remember, the only legal memory, uh, values are memory addresses or zero. But we want CTP to point to initial without directly referencing initial. How about this? 
Oops. Is that better? So the value of CPTR is a memory address, right? In fact, uh, CPTR has the memory address of 2020. So pretend that's a memory address. And we assign that memory address to C2P. And a memory address is a valid point, uh, value for a pointer. So that works. So C2P is assigned to CPTR. You can achieve the same thing. So I'll, I'll label this step 10 as well. Both are, are fine. So now we have both character pointers uh, pointing to initial. Turns out there are some operations we can do with, with pointers as well. So operations on pointers. One operation we can do is equality. We can test for equality. So for example, we can have an if statement that says something like this. If CPTR equals C2P. Is that true? So what that's asking is CPTR point to the same thing that C2P points to. The answer is yes. They both point to initial. This is true. You can ask if CPTR does not, well, you can ask if CPTR point to something. And that's equivalent to asking the CPTR uh, not equal zero. And by the way, we use the zero as a sentinel value because we can't test for garbage, right? Because garbage is a random value. So that's why we use zero. So the quote-unquote empty pointer really is a pointer with the value of zero. So since PT CPTR actually points to something, right? It points to initial, namely. This is also true. It's not zero. And zero is a special exceptional value. So remember, say it five times before you go to bed in the mirror. The only valid addresses, uh, values of pointers are memory addresses or zero. And zero. Uh, you can assign, right? All right, you can have assignments. You can assign pointers to values, right? Either zero or or other pointers, right? Or other memory addresses. You can also assign pointers to be zero. So you can say, for example, CPTR is assigned zero. So now we here, let's say step eleven. CPTR no longer has the value 2020, but now it's zero. 
So that means that CPTR no longer no longer points to initial. And one thing to note here is that um, even though the only legal values of pointers are memory addresses and zero, um, it must be the same type. There's actually, that's a caveat to that. But for now, um, you only can assign pointer values of, say, characters to character pointers. So for example, you can do something like um, double double v is assigned 5.0 and say that, well, okay, CPTR is assigned the contents of v. So that, that's a compile time error. Um, in fact, what I just said is not entirely true. There's actually um, a looser clause that there has to be a special relationship between the two types. And that's where inheritance come in, comes in. And it's sort of related to why we can pass um, an f-stream object to a, um, a function whose parameter says, like, o-stream, or an of an uh, stream object. But anyway, for now, just think that they have to be the same type. So you can't have a, uh, a pointer to a double be assigned to a character pointer. So that's not good. Any questions so far? Everything okay so far? Does anyone see the, the motivation for this at all? Yeah, sort of, kind of. Okay, so now, with, now it gets interesting. That's the bell rings. Now it's round two. So if you're not confused yet, um, now you're going to get really confused. Well, at least like in a moment. So it turns out there is a relationship between pointers and arrays. as follows. An array name in C++ is a constant pointer and by constant it's like with the const keyword, right? The value of it can't change. To the first element in the array. So an array name is a constant pointer to the first element in the array. So it turns out, all this time that you've been using arrays, you've actually been using pointers. This is what I love about this class, that I got to teach you new stuff and then just relate it back to old stuff. And hey, we were learning pointers today, but you've actually been using pointers since like week three. So you didn't know it, but you're actually using pointers all along. And it's not really just with reference parameters, it's actually with arrays as well. So you guys should be experts in using pointers, right? 
right, so let's, let's take an example. Suppose I have an array called score. So it score, and let's say it has um, eight elements in it. So here's my array. We haven't seen one of these in a while. It has eight elements, right? Zero to seven, um, all initially garbage. And it's called score. And if you guys have noticed, every time I write an array on the board and use its name, I always write an arrow between the name and the array. Do you ever notice that? No? Sort of? That's because score is a pointer to the first element of this array. So score points to this memory address. I just dropped all my paper here, but uh, let's see if I can get the right page number. Ah, here it is. Okay. All right, so let's say I make a pointer called IPTR. So IPTR will be a pointer to a character. And let's say IPTR is over here. So it's got to use garbage as well right now. Okay. I want to have IPTR point to the first element of the score array. Anyone tell me how to do that? How can I have IPTR point to the first element of the score array? Well, first off, how do I access the first element? Right, I refer to the array name. And then I use the subscript operators, right, to know which element of the array I want. So I want the first element, so that's index zero. Right, good. So that's the first element of the array. That's an integer. Granted, it's garbage, but right now. Okay, now I want IPTR to point to that location in memory. So if I set IPTR to be score sub zero, well, that's no good because that's an integer. Pretend there's some integer. How can I get it to point at the first element? Yeah, right, use the address operator. So now, IPTR points at the first element of score. What else could I have also written there? What's a much easier way to do the same thing? Any guesses? There's something to do with, with this bullet here. So, what is it? IPTR is a sign score. Yeah. Same as above. 
right? Because score is an array name. An array name is a constant pointer to the first element of the array. I wanted IPTR to refer to the first element of the score array. Score is the address of the first element of the array. So here I'm assigning score to the IPTR. IPTR is a memory address. IPTR, uh, sorry, score is a memory address, right? It's a memory address of an integer, and IPTR is a pointer to an integer. So this checks. In fact, it should tell you something about this operator, the subscript operator. What is the subscript operator really doing there? What's that? Yeah, it's doing an offset, but what is it doing before that? It has a relation to a chip to something, another operator we've used with pointers today. Contents of operator. Yeah. The subscript operator is actually a special kind of contents of operator. In fact, we could have done the same thing like this. IPTR is assigned the contents of score. Right, so that would give me the first element of the array, and take the address of that. And I'll put parentheses there just to denote order of operations. That's the same. And I'll give you one more thing that's the same. IPTR is assigned the address of score plus zero the contents of that. So here I'm taking the memory location right, of score, adding nothing to it, so I get back score. Then I take the contents of that. And then go ahead and take the, the address of that as well. And it's the same thing as doing this. IPTR is assigned score plus zero. So anyway, the point is that this is actually called pointer arithmetic. So you can add integer numbers to score to pointers, and that gives it an offset, as you mentioned before. Someone mentioned before. And it does the offset is by the number of bytes that the value holds, right? So if it's an integer pointer. Each offset number, right, which, you, which is, appears in the right-hand side there of the addition operation, uh, is multiplied by 4, right, because integers have 4 bytes. And in fact, so this is the same. This is the same. If I added um, IPTR score plus 1, and then assign that to IPTR, actually score plus one and assign that to IPTR, that gives me what element in the array? The second element. So now IPTR, we would start here. So what I should tell you here is that arrays are sequential in memory. So when you allocate an array, you get a whole chunk of memory in sequence, and it, that's contiguous. So if you use pointer arithmetic, 
you can add um, you can add values to the pointer value to get other elements occurring. And then the offset really gets multiplied by the number of bytes for that type. So if it's an integer pointer, then that's four times four bytes. So for example, if this is address 1010, the next element would be address 1014. Is that right? Yeah. Etc. Yes? How does that work with multi Um. Good question. Yeah, I don't know. That's a really good question. So what's, what would be the relationship between the dimensions? So we know, we know like, so for example, what would be the relationship between columns? No, rows of the array, right? So if you have a two-dimensional array, you sort of have, um, you have two, I guess you'd have two rows and, and however many columns. That's a good question. Why don't you find out for, for us in emails? Post in the discussion board. Good, that's a great question. Anyone know the answer to that? Should we make that extra red? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. I never thought of that. All right, so extra credit. Um, that's to be extra credit on. Uh, on the quiz or something. Uh, so if arrays, so single-dimensional arrays are stored in memory sequentially, how are multi-dimensional arrays stored in memory? So if I don't put that on Carmen on the quiz box, or whatever, um, let me know if I forget. So I mean, there's two different ways I can think of it. Well, if you end, you know, you're at the end of the array here, maybe the second dimension continues on, right? So to get to the second dimension, you would just add uh, the first value to how many uh, how many ever elements are in the array, and then you get the second dimension up here. Or maybe you just start somewhere else. I don't know. Maybe it's someone else. That would, not, that would be my guess. That it's it's the next one over. But yeah, that's a great question. So how are multidimensional arrays stored in memory for extra credit? Okay. Um, actually, it's, it becomes very important that arrays are stored sequential in memory. Um, but for right now. I actually discourage the use of pointer arithmetic. So really, I mean, what what the subscript operator is doing is adding an offset and then taking the contents of that that memory location. Um, so I actually much prefer that you guys use the subset subscript operators that you've been doing so far. So even though I showed you how pointer arithmetic works, um, try not to use it if you don't have to. It's much preferable 
to use the subscript notation. All right, so let's keep on going with this. All right, so what if I did the following? And I'll, I'll continue on this portion here. Can I make... Um, score to be equal to IPTR. So for example, can I say score is assigned IPTR. So IPTR is an integer pointer. Score is the name of your array, right? So it's an integer pointer. Namely, it's a integer array. So that's a memory location of an integer. This stores memory locations of an integer. So is this okay? No, why? Right. Score is constant. So that's the difference. Uh, so, like I said before here, an array name is a constant pointer to the first element of the array. So score is constant. Can't do that. That's a composite on there. Let's have another array. Let's call it val. And I will assign val to be 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Okay, so in memory, I got a It's an array of five integers, namely 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Okay. So if I said C out, insert the contents of val, what does that print? So remember, val is the name of the array. Array names are pointers to the first element of the array. So what does that print? Five, good. So that's really the same thing as saying val sub-zero. Same difference there. What if I did this? Val is a sign. The contents of val, rather, is assigned 6. What happens over here? 5 becomes 6, right? And that's like saying val sub 0 is assigned 6. These are the same. Anyone ever try to do this? Everyone, all right, 
Come on, honestly, whoever tried that? I know people have tried this. Right, so if you want to print an array, why doesn't this work? Why do we need a loop to print the contents of an array? Because the array name is a pointer. So what gets printed here? What's that? The first one? Not the first element, but the address. Yeah, the address is the first element, which looks like a bunch of garbage. It usually crashes your computer. So it depends on what characters are represented. So prints the address. The first element. So that's why you can't print arrays like that. All right, let's get some more uh, pointers here. Oh, we have IPTR, right? So what if we did this? IPTR, let's make that point at val. So here's IPTR again. So now IPTR points at val. And let's have another pointer. Let's call it third P. So I'll declare it here. It's a pointer to an integer. And I want third P to point to um, the third element of val. So how can I do that using a subscript notation? So how do I get the third element, right? It's going to be val sub 2. And that gives me the value. So to get the contents of that, I use which operator? Address of, right? So that gives me the address of uh, the third element of val. So now this points here. All right, so now here, here's where it gets excited. It turns out that any pointer can be used as the name of the array to which it points. So in English, you can use a pointer as the name of the array. So for example, I can use some, something like this. I can say C now. IPTR sub 1. Alright, so print the second element of IPTR, so that would print 4. It can also print out um, Third P of two. Oh, that print. Prince. Who says it prints three? 
says the prince two? Who says the prince one? Oh, sorry. Prince one. All right, so follow 3P. So remember that the subscript operator is like a dereferencing operator? Ah, that's, that was the name of it, dereferencing. So the contest of operator, another name for that is dereferencing operator. And then the address of operator is also called the reference operator. So reference, dereference. So you dereference, right, uh, the pointer val. So that gives you the contents of val. Well, I'll add two to that first, really, right? So I'll go over two elements and get the contents of that. Oh, what am I talking about? Right here, sorry. <laughs> right, so add two to third P and you reference that, right? Get the contents of that. So that points out one. So third P is like an integer array that starts in this element. So remember that any pointer can be used as the name of the array, which it points. Two. Yes? I thought you made third P an address. The address of the value two. Yeah, so third, all right, so third P is a pointer, right? And I assigned to third P the address of a third element in val, right? So I made a point there. Third, and you're saying now third P is also an array? Third P is not an array. Third P is a pointer. And how can you get, oh, you're adding two to the address that you Right. So the trick to think about this is that, well, IPTR is a pointer. Third P is a pointer. They're both pointers. Just the way that you declare them is a little different. One's a constant pointer, by the way. So IPTR is a pointer. A constant pointer, rather. Yeah, so this is where it gets confusing. Okay, so... What do I want to go to next here? Why is IPTR constant? <clears throat> oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, Val is a constant pointer. Yeah, you're right. Sorry about that. Yeah, Val is a constant pointer. Yeah, IPTR and third P are both are both just pointers. I guess what I really wanted to say is that, well, Val is a pointer. Right? Val is a pointer here. So you have Val sub zero. IPTR sub 1, third P sub 2. They're all pointers and integers. <coughs> okay, so. Um, so why do we need this? Well, one reason I can think of is that with the implicit parameter, if you want to refer to that explicitly, right, in an object, you want to refer to the actual object. You don't want a copy of it, right? That's one motivation for this. Um, another motivation is called dynamic allocation. So one thing, um, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but none of our functions have ever returned arrays. And there's a very good reason for that. Um, and it, it has to do with what we mentioned earlier, that at the end of the function, 
that we've, the function we've written so far, at the end of these functions, all the memory that that function had gets swept away. It's gone. In order to return an array, however, the memory has to stay around because array names are actually memory addresses, right, of the first element of that, ar that array. So if you, uh, if you declare an array in memory, so for example, in a function rather, so let's say you have a function called uh, subarray. So it takes an array. Let's just, for simplicity, let's say integer. Of size element. And it returns another array, which is the first num elements of AR. So, for example, if I sent val as the array here, and I set the size as 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and I said give me another array that has, let's say, I don't know, the first two elements. So that array would, would be 6 and 4. So like a subarray of that. <coughs> so how would you go about doing that? Well, one thing you can do <coughs> is you can make an array. Let's call it ret. And let's say there's some max size, right, that it can be. So array AR has a maximum size max. Let's say max is an integer constant. That's globally known. What you can do is have a little loop here. You can say 4 and i starting at the first element. i is less than what? So you want to copy num elements of the array into this new array. So it'll just be num, right? So for example, if num was, let's say, 2, right, num was here. So you want to stop here. Right, so you just copy 6 and 4. I plus plus. And here we'd say ret sub i is a sign um, ARR sub i. So just copy those elements. And then finally return ret. We should be fine, right? I mean, okay, so we're only returning an array, right? All this array should have all its actual size, right, with them. Well, you know what the actual size of, of the array is going to be, right? It's going to be none, right? Because that's what this function does. The return value, uh, return type is an array of integers, right? Ret's an array of integers. So what's the problem here? Yes. <coughs> yeah. Right. It's the first element of that array. But really, the array is getting allocated in the function. Once this function ends, that memory is gone. So actually, ret is going to point to the first element of nothing, of an array that used to be there. So we actually call this a dangling pointer. Has anyone heard that term before, dangling pointers? It's a very famous term. Anyway, it's a situation where um, you have a pointer that has a value of a memory location in which nothing is allocated. That can crash your program if you try to reference that. 
So there is something called dynamic memory, um, which you can use for the situation. And um, that memory actually persists throughout your program. And it's actually called the heap. There's a heap portion of memory that you can use um, to allocate uh, memory on the heap that doesn't disappear. And the way you can do that is as follows. So you can make a write a pointer there explicitly and set it equal to a new integer array of size max. So that will be allocated on the heap now. So there's a keyword called new, which allocates uh, memory on the heap, which doesn't disappear. So once this function is over, ret will be a pointer to the first element of an array on the heap, which does not disappear where the function ends. And if you guys come to the extra session on Monday, I'll talk more about dynamic memory. So, and one thing that starts about dynamic memory, I want to mention really quickly, is that this, this can actually be a variable. So dynamic memory is allocated at runtime as opposed to static arrays, which are allocated at compile time. So this right here is actually something called a dynamic array. So you can actually put a, a variable um, specifier there as size. Okay, that's all I have for today. And if you haven't done so already, email me the times you're available on Monday for an extra session. Come on up. Um, the final will cover um, pointers, but not the dynamic allocation. Yeah, it's up on to the left. Yeah. So yeah, so the final will end with pointers.